3 John verse 2, and I'm reading from the good old classic King James Version this morning. Actually, let's read this together. Let's read it out loud. Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayst prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospereth. Let's read it one more time. Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospereth. And then John chapter 10, verse 10, one of my favorite, most favorite scriptures in the whole Bible. Uh, John chapter 10, verse 10, read this with me too. The thief cometh not, but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they may have life and they might have it more abundantly. The words of Jesus, I have come that may, they may have life and life more abundantly. Say this with me. God is a good God. God is a good God. Say this with me. The devil's a bad devil. The devil is a bad devil, but God is a good God. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray over your word today, and I ask you, Lord, that you would help me to be able to communicate and preach your word, and that you would help us to be able to hear and receive your word, that it brings power and transformation and change, and it builds faith for us in the room to live for you and to serve you every day of our lives. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. You can be seated this morning. I want to preach for just a few moments today along these lines. Biblical prosperity. Biblical prosperity. In fact, I'm going to be preaching the next couple of Sundays. We'll just see what the Lord wants to do. But this is what the, this, this phrase has been on my heart for the last couple of months, actually. And I was praying about, you know, you do your Christmas series. You got to preach for Christmas and you got to do the things. You got to tell the story and all of that. And I was like, but I, I've been so ready to talk about and preach this and look in the word. And it's almost like when I'm reading the scripture lately in my own personal time, stuff has just been popping out at me like, oh, this is God's will. This is what God wants for us is this biblical prosperity. And I want to make a bold statement to even start off with. And it's actually even a controversial statement. One that even I on my journey with the Lord, I haven't always been able to say I truly believed what I'm about to say to you. And it might even kind of be a, uh, 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 a new thought for you to hear as well. But this is, this is what I want to say. I, I, here it is. God wants you to prosper. God wants you to prosper. He wants you to be prosperous. Here's how I know. I read the book. I've read the book, and this book, we believe, is the inspired scriptures. We believe that this book is God's revealed, infallible word. That this book reveals to us the heart and the will of God, his desires and his wishes for you and I. This book makes known to us God's plan and God's purposes for his children. The words of this book, we believe, were inspired by God himself, breathed out by the voice of God, that the men whose hands held the pen that wrote the words on the paper were filled with the spirit of the living God and led by the spirit of God to write the words that we wrote. Do you believe that? Oh, okay, well, we might have to have another sermon then. We got to get that one under uh, down pat first, okay? Listen, this is God's word. It is, why do we stand when we read God's word? Because when we read from this book, 
Pastor Seth is not speaking. God is speaking. And we stand up to attention when God speaks to us. Amen. God is speaking through this word. This is his infallible revealed word that points us to Jesus, who is the eternal word of God, the living word of God. It's our guidebook in life. It's the way we find the path to salvation. It's the way we learn how to live for God. These are God's words. And when we read these words, God is always speaking every time you read these words. The words they wrote were God's words written in man's handwriting. And the evangelist in John, living in the first century of the church, he sat down in the book, we call the book Third John, but it's actually a letter, a very short letter. It's not very long. It takes about 90 seconds to read the entire book of Third John. But when John sat down, he was writing a letter to his friend, a man named Gaius, another believer. And he's writing to his friend Gaius to encourage Gaius in the faith. But, but he didn't just sit down and say, you know, like, it's not like a text message where you just say, hey, what are you doing today? Or how, how are things going? John sits down and he says, okay, Holy Ghost, what do you want to say to my friend Gaius today? He's surrendered to the power and the inspiration and the voice of the Holy Spirit. And he's saying, Holy Spirit, what do you want to speak to guys? Okay, he sits down and says, Holy Spirit, I got my pen. I got my paper. I've got my address. I've got my stamp. I'm sending this letter to my friend Gaius. What do you want me to write, Lord? And the Holy Spirit told John to write this. Dear Gaius, I love you. And the first thing he says in the letter is, Beloved, my greatest wish for you is that you would prosper and be in good health even as your soul prospers. When John asked the Holy Ghost, he said, Holy Ghost, what do you want to say to your son Gaius today? The Holy Ghost responded and said, Beloved, I wish for you to prosper and be in health even as your soul's pros- even as your soul prospers. Those are the words the Spirit of God led John to write, inspired by the Holy Spirit. And we know and elsewhere in Scripture that God doesn't play favorites, that God is no respecter of persons. So if God desires that for Gaius, who lived 2,000 years, years ago, then God desires that for you living in 2024. Beloved, I desire, I wish for you to prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. So here, I want you to say it with me. God wants me to prosper. God wants me to prosper. Now I know, I know, I know, I have heard it that there are certain teachings and books and doctrines out there that have been labeled almost in a pejorative way called the prosperity gospel. Have y'all heard that phrase before? The health and wealth gospel, the name it and claim it gospel, the prosperity gospel. And there are those preachers out there. A lot of them are on television and they're called prosperity preachers. And we've all seen these jokers on late night after the late night TV show goes off and the infomercial comes on and there's the guy and he's got a big church and he's got people. And he says, if you'll send me a hundred dollars, I'll send you a ketchup packet with miracle spring water in it. And you can take that miracle spring water and you can drip it on your wallet when you get it and say the right prayer. And then in a couple of weeks, you're going to get an unexpected check for a thousand dollars in the mail. We've all seen those guys, that kind of prosperity teaching. There's those that say, if you just have the right faith and you believe for it and you'll send that TV ministry, your best offering, and you'll begin to speak that BMW into existence. One of these days, somebody's going to sell you a BMW at the price of a Ford Taurus. Like that's, that's what, that's the kind of stuff that gets called prosperity teaching. Listen, that's 
that stuff ain't even Christian, okay? They might use the word Jesus, they might talk about Christ, but it ain't the Bible, it ain't scripture, it's not what we're talking about. I'm not going there, so if you start hearing me talk about God wants you to prosper, that's not where we're going at this church, amen? Okay? Those kinds of things, they're extreme, they're false doctrines, and they're mixed with just enough Bible and just enough spiritual truth that it sounds good, but it's built on materialism and greed. It's all about get more to get more, have more to have more, even take more if you have to. And that is not what we believe. And that's not what we're talking about today. That's why the title of this message is biblical prosperity, not American dream prosperity, not get rich quick prosperity, not Trump university prosperity, biblical prosperity. So let's just define some terms here. John, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes and he says, Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper. Dictionary.com gives the definition of the word prosper as to be successful, to thrive, and to flourish. To be successful, to thrive, and to flourish. The Greek word, when John writes in, in the original Greek, he uses the word euodo. And the word euodo, it's a word picture in the Greek language that wants you to, when you hear the word euodo, you're supposed to see in your mind a smooth pathway. It's, it's, a, it's a smooth journey. It's a road without any potholes. It's a road that, that doesn't have uh, pitfalls on the side. It's a smooth journey. And it's a road that you travel has fewer potholes and pitfalls. And it gives the idea that you are able to complete the journey successfully, having reached the correct destination and accomplished your intended goal. That's the idea when it comes to biblical prosperity. A smoother journey that gets you safely to your destination, accomplishing the task that you set out to take. So when the word of God says, I wish above all things that you would prosper, it's talking about your life's journey. It's talking about your life as a follower of Jesus. It's saying that you can be successful in all that God calls you to do. You can be successful in all that God, it's saying that you can thrive in the assignment that God gives you. It's saying that you take the intended journey that God intended for you to take in life, the right path, the right course in life, and you accomplish the task God has laid before you in order to further his kingdom. Now, now, even though I promised you we're not going to get into the crazy, uh, materialistic, greedy kind of prosperity teaching, you also need to know that uh, there's also an equally false teaching out there in the church world that almost wants to say, God never wants you to prosper. There, there's people that they wrap it in spiritual language and stuff. And, you know, well, you know, the God, if you're going to be godly, you've got to be dirt poor. That's the only way to be godly. If you're going to be godly, you've got to struggle through life and everything. And that's the only way to really serve Jesus. God doesn't want to bless you. God's more concerned with beating the sin out of you. So he doesn't have time to bless you in your life. That walking with God is so hard and so difficult and so taxing that it ought never to be enjoyable. If you're enjoying your walk with Jesus, you must not be doing it right. That you, you can't ever own nice things that there's the only way to be godly is to be poor and hungry, hungry and homeless. There's stuff out there like this in Christian books and teachings that sounds like this, but I want you to know that's also a false teaching. That's also not scripture. It's got just enough Bible in it to sound right, but it's not right. 
You hearing me? Because you look at the all of scripture. What does all of scripture say about God's will for you? Let me ask you something. The scriptures tell us that God is our heavenly father. Do we believe that? He's our heavenly father. He's a loving father and he loves all of his children. What would you think of a parent if you were to ask them, what are your hopes and dreams for your children? What, remember, biblical prosperity means to be successful, to thrive, and to flourish. And what would you think of me if I said about my kids, now, nah, I don't want my children to be successful in life. Don't care in the least if they're successful. Now, I don't want my children to thrive. In fact, I'm going to do everything I can in my power to keep them from thriving. You would think I was nuts. At best, I'm a neglectful father, and at worst, I'm an abusive father if that's my attitude toward my children. Any parent that doesn't want their children to thrive and doesn't want them to raise them in a way that they learn how to be successful and learn how to thrive, that's not a good parent. But our God is a good God. He's a good God, and he wants good things for his children. He wants us to prosper. So here's here's just a confession of faith I want you to say with me. Listen to me. God wants me to prosper. Say that. God wants me to prosper. Say this. God wants me to succeed in all he calls me to do. God wants me to succeed in all that he calls me to do. Listen to this. God wants me to thrive in every divine assignment. Say that with me. God wants me to thrive in every divine assignment. Say this with me. God wants to bless my life. God wants to bless my life. And he wants to equip me for the journey. I want you to notice something. So far, when we're talking about biblical prosperity, listen to me. Not once have I measured, have I spoken about your bank account. Not once have I talked about how much do you give in the offering. Not once am I talking about how many square feet are in your house or what kind of cars you have parked in your garage. While it's true, we might talk about this in a couple of weeks, that God wants to bless you financially. We might talk about that. That's true. Biblical prosperity is so much more than how much money you have or how much stuff you have. And that's where the prosperity teachers get off of it wrong. Because it becomes so much about materialism instead about who you are and who God has called you to be. John said... Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayst prosper and be in good health even as your soul prospers. That just covers so much. It covers so much because he's covering every area of your life. He says, I want you to prosper. I want you to be successful, accomplish goals, fulfill your assignment. And while you do that, I want your body to be in health. I want you to be healthy. And I want you to have victory over sickness and disease and illness and infirmity. And I'm going to do all of this, God says. I want this all for you while I help your soul prosper, your mind, your mental health, your emotions, your spiritual health, your faith life, your inner man. I help your soul grow and mature, God says, and become all that I created you to be. That's biblical prosperity. You can, because you can be a wealthy person materially and be spiritually poor. You can be a wealthy person materially and be emotionally a wreck. Because that's not what biblical prosperity is all about. He's interested in your whole person, not just your bank account. He's interested in your whole person, not just your job. He's interested in all of you thriving and flourishing and being successful in all that he calls you to do. And this is what I want you to receive here. This text covers the whole person because God wants every area of your life to prosper. 
our students on Wednesday nights, every month they learn a new faith verse, and last month they were learning this verse, Psalm 37, 23. The Lord directs the steps of the godly, and he delights in every detail of their lives. See, he's not, he, he cares about it all. There is no part of your life that he's not interested in prospering. There's no part in your life that he's not interested in blessing. He wants you to be involved. He wants to be involved in every detail of your lives. Every detail. The broken dishwasher. The difficult family relationship. That pain in your knee. That project you've got going on at work. That cow that got out. The business idea that you have. The son that you're praying for. The homeless person that you passed on the intersection. That check engine light that came on this week. God directs the steps of the godly. He delights in every detail. of He delights in the details of your life you don't delight in. He cares about the little things. He cares about the big things. And he wants to prosper every area of your life. He said, I want you to prosper. I want your body to be in health. And I want your emotional, your spiritual, your thought life even to prosper. I want your inner life to even prosper. He is the God of the details. He cares more, even more than you do about things in your life. And he's promised, he says, I'm going to direct your steps to help you thrive on the journey to reach your destination. That is biblical prosperity. Now, here's the truth I need you to know. The promise of biblical prosperity does not mean the absence of adversity. You don't just come to faith in Jesus and all of a sudden life is roses and unicorns and butterflies after that. The promise of biblical prosperity does not mean the absence of adversity. The blessings of God don't mean there aren't ever going to be challenges in your life. The blessings of God are what God does to equip you to meet, to defeat and overcome those challenges in life. The favor of God is that God is with you in the midst of the adversity. Biblical prosperity is the truth that when there's more month than there is money, God finds a way to provide. Biblical prosperity is that when the bad diagnosis comes, you can pray the prayer of faith and see the sick recover. Biblical prosperity is that when sickness does lead to death for a believer, even then you don't lose because there's only life on the other side of death if you're in Christ. Biblical prosperity is like Joseph in the Old Testament. I preached on him a couple of months ago, how Joseph, he would have setback after setback after setback. He was thrown in the pit by his brothers. He was thrown in the prison by by his enemies, but God promoted him to the palace. And after every setback, the scripture in Genesis in Joseph's life, he'll be, he'll be thrown in the pit and the Bible will say, but God blessed everything Joseph did. He'll be thrown in the prison and, he'll, and, and the Bible will say, but God was with him and blessed everything that he did. Even the setback you're going through is a setup for God to bless you. That's biblical prosperity. A good example of how biblical prosperity looks is to look at the biblical record of the earliest followers of Jesus. Read the book of Acts sometimes. Life wasn't easy always. 
They faced persecution. They faced danger. They faced obstacles. They faced opposition from Satan and from people who sought to hinder them, even people who tried to kill them. But even when they put Peter in prison, an angel came and opened the prison doors. That's biblical prosperity. Even when they tried to arrest and kill them, God provided a way to escape. Even when Paul was in the ship that sank, God preserved his life and got him to his destination. And all along the way, through every difficulty, through every challenge, more people were getting saved and more people were being healed and more people bound by Satan were being set free because even in the midst of the difficulty, God was with them and he gave them victory over the enemy. He gave them defeat over anything that would come against them. He caused them to be successful in all that he set them out to do. That's biblical prosperity. Biblical prosperity doesn't mean that there won't be difficulty. It just means that God is with you in the midst of the difficulty. That's what biblical prosperity, Hebrews 13 verse 5, for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. No matter what season of life you find yourself in, no matter what's going on in life, no matter how hard things get, it's not hopeless because God is there. And he's the one who knows the way out. And he's the one who knows how to heal. And he's the one who knows how to resurrect. And he's the one who knows how to deliver. So even in the difficulty, I can have faith and I can have victory and I can prosper even in adversity because God is with me. John 16 verse 33 In the world, Jesus says, you will have tribulation, but take heart. I've overcome the world. Even when the world comes against you, the world will never get victory over Jesus in your life. The world's never going to win over Jesus in your life. If you've got Jesus, he's already overcome it all. He's already defeated it. It's already a defeated foe. It can't hold you back. It can't hold you down. And if God allowed it in your life, the only reason he did is because there's a greater victory for you on the other side of whatever you're going through. First Corinthians 15, 57, Paul says, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ because biblical prosperity does not mean there won't be adversity. It means that God gives you victory in the midst of adversity. And the scripture we read earlier, like I said, one of my most favorite verses of scripture, Jesus says, the thief cometh not but for to steal, to kill and destroy. The devil is a bad devil. He's not your friend. He doesn't, want to, he, he doesn't want to be friendly with you. He might pretend like he is, but there's a trap on the other side of it. Sin is never your friend. Living for, living for darkness, living for evil, living for your own self, it's never your friend. It always comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. Every time. Every single time. But Jesus says, but I have come that they might have life and they might have it more abundantly. The thief may come, he's going to try to kill. The thief is going to come, he's going to try to destroy. The thief is going to come and he's going to try to steal. But living in biblical prosperity, living in God's blessing is that no matter what the devil tried to do to me, no matter how he tried to hold me back, if I stick with Jesus, I can have an abundant life in spite of my spiritual enemy's best efforts. That's why David in Psalm chapter 23 verse 5 could say, thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemies. My enemies might come against me, but I can feast on the blessings of God. I can feast on the abundance of God in the midst of the devil trying to kick my teeth in. I can sit down in peace and have a feast because God is with me and he's blessing me. I'm walking in biblical prosperity. 
when I'm living in that, Satan's going to have to suffer and watch me enjoy life no matter what he tries, no matter what he sends against me, no matter what hospital room I'm sitting in, what doctor's office I'm sitting in, no matter how low my bank account is, I can enjoy life and I can enjoy the blessings of God. And the devil has to sit back and suffer and say, man, I tried it again and it didn't work. But God has placed a table in front of me of his abundance and I can feast on him in the midst of all that the enemy would try to do. When I'm living in biblical prosperity, it looks like this, Mark chapter four, verse 35. On that day, when evening had come, Jesus said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Everybody said, go over. Let us go over to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. You need Jesus in your boat. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose and the waves were breaking into the boat. So notice, this isn't just the waves breaking onto the boat, like against the boat. These are waves swamping into the boat. There's water getting in the boat. And the boat was already filling. But Jesus is in, where does the water go when it gets in the boat? To the bottom. And Jesus is in the bottom of the boat. He had to have been soaking wet. He's sleeping in the water that's, that's, that's dumping into the boat during the storm. Fast asleep. Jesus is in the stern of the boat asleep on the cushion, a wet cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke. And, you know, I have always pictured that Jesus, like, climbs up and goes to the top of the boat and, and like, looks out at the waves and says, hey, y'all be quiet, y'all quit. But I was reading this this week, and the way I read it here, it doesn't say he got up. I think, I, maybe I'm playing with the scripture a little bit here, but I don't know if he even got his head off the pillow. He, it woke him up, huh? Oh, hey, be quiet. And then he rolled over and went back to sleep. Jesus awoke, teacher, you not care, we're, we're perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. He said to them, why are y'all so afraid? I'm trying to sleep, man. Why are y'all so worried? Have you still no faith? He rolls back over, pulls the covers up, goes back to sleep on his wet cushion. And they say, who is this that the wind and the sea obey him? See, living in biblical prosperity doesn't mean the storm won't come. Storms come. This is life. Until Jesus comes back and totally sets all of the world right and totally fixes it all, which we believe he will one day. You know, we preach that. We believe that. Until then, those storms just happen. Storms happen. Nobody's fault. It's nobody's fault that the pipes froze. It's nobody's fault that that bill came due. It just happens. Storms come. But living in biblical prosperity means Jesus is in the boat with you. And Jesus has already said, we're going over to the other side. See, that's the key to this whole scripture. Is that at the very beginning, Jesus says, let's go over to the other side of the the sea. Let's go over to the other side of the lake. Big storm comes up. And if you're living in faith and biblical prosperity, you remember, Jesus said we were going over. So we can't go under. Jesus said we're going over, 
So I can't go under. He said I was going to get over there. So if he said that, that's biblical prosperity, that when the storm comes, I already have a word from God that I'm making it to the other side. So this storm can do whatever. This storm could completely shred this ship apart, and I have nothing to hold on to but a little piece of wood like Rose and Jack and Titanic. But I'm going to paddle my way all the way over to the other side because Jesus said, I'm going over to the other side. I don't even need the boat. I just need Jesus. Jesus is going on the journey with you, and Jesus has told you, go over, so you can't go under. That's what biblical prosperity looks like. I want you to stand with me this morning. I have been preaching a lot shorter lately, y'all, and you should, I want to hear a thank you sometime. It's 11.40. God is a good God, and he has good plans for your life. There's a portion of scripture in the Gospels where where Jesus says, you know, if, you're, if your child comes to you and asks you for bread, would you give him a scorpion? If he comes to you and asks you for an egg, <laughs> would you give him a rock? We've got three young, four young children in our house this weekend. It's funny, you know, well, last night, Cambry wanted another kiwi and her mom said no you don't need another kiwi I was like let the girl have a kiwi my goodness she, <laughs> Renee told her she said don't even just ask me any questions anymore just go ask Uncle Seth whatever whatever you know if your child comes to you and asks you for something that's good for them would you ever deny it you'll deny it if it's not good for them right you'll say no no you know they come ask you for you know a cigarette you're going to say, no, you can't have a cigarette. Are you crazy? Get out of here. We don't do that. That's bad for you. But a kiwi is healthy. And why would, why would I, she come and ask for a kiwi and me give her a rock and say, here, eat that? No. Jesus says, how every parent, when your child asks them for something that would nourish them and help them grow and help them flourish and help them thrive, every good parent would, of course, would, of course, give that. And he says, and if you, being sinful man and woman, imperfect as you are, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more does your heavenly father know how to give good gifts to his children? This is what we're talking about when we're talking about biblical prosperity. Some people are going to be wealthy. Some people won't be as wealthy. I get that. There's always going to be the poor. Jesus said the poor will be with us until the end of the age, that there's always going to be people who need a little extra help and a hand up. That, that's, that's, that's all true. But that doesn't negate the fact that our God is a good God who gives good gifts to his children. It doesn't negate the fact that the psalmist said, I have never seen the righteous forsaken, nor his children begging for bread. See, God is our provider. He's our source. He wants to take care of you. And it's not just material. He's your source of emotional health. He's your source of spiritual health. He's the source of health in your marriage. He's the source of health in your relationship with your children. He wants to give good gifts. And I think sometimes we think that God is just the guy that we've seen in a cartoon that he's sitting on this massive throne up on a cloud somewhere and he's got a lightning bolt in his hand and his desire is to just, you just wait Justin, when next time he does that, I'm going to strike him down. 
so, you know, he's just waiting for you to mess up so he can have an excuse to, to knock you out, knock you back and knock you down. It's not like that though. In fact, wherever, I don't know if it's on a cloud or not, but if he is sitting on his throne, it's not a lightning bolt he has in his hand. It's the good gift you need that he has in his hand. And he's just waiting for the right moment and the right time and for you to ask him and trust him and rely on him. Here, here's the, here's the provision you need to make it through the month. Here's that dose of humility you need to see that relationship restored. Here, here's, here's that miracle you need to see that healing. He, he has nothing but good gifts for you because you're his child. He loves you. He, he, let me put, even his discipline is motivated by love and not anger. Even when he corrects you, it's not because, oh, I'm so angry. It's because, hey, I have a better path for you. I've got a better choice for you to make. This is the God that we serve. And if when you think about God, that's not the kind of God you think about, then you need to do some work where you realign your theology to line up with this book and not what somebody else told you. If when you close your eyes and think about God and it doesn't look like Jesus feeding the 5,000 and it doesn't look like Jesus telling the disciples, cast your net on the other side and get a net breaking boat sinking blessing of a catch. If it doesn't look like Jesus healing the sick, if it doesn't look like Jesus raising the dead, if it doesn't look like Jesus welcoming the little children, then you've got the wrong impression of who God is because that's who God is. The Bible says Jesus is the fullness of the Godhead bodily. He's, he reveals the heart and the character of God. So when you close your eyes and you see angry God with a, with a lightning bolt, that's a lie straight from the pit of hell. That's not who your God is. Your God is the Jesus running into a crowd of children and say, let the little children come unto me. Your God is Jesus hanging on a cross saying, I'll die before they have to. I'll take the punishment before they have to. I'll take it from, that's who your God is. That's what biblical prosperity is. He wants you to thrive. He wants you to flourish. He wants you to succeed in all he has placed in front of you. Not your own dreams and desires, your own selfish stuff. He wants you to succeed in what he has for you. That's biblical prosperity. If you're here today and you'd say, you know what? I need that God to move in my life today. In 2024, I need that God to touch my life, touch my marriage, my family, my, my, my bank account, my body, my health. I need that. Would you just lift your hand right here? I need that God. I need that God to move in my life. I need that God and that kind of blessing.